hey, before going further, I'd appreciate if you took a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you're listening. Now, from a sponsor. Good News, a podcast is brought to you by Missing Sock. How come there's always one? Missing Sock. Good news! Most planes take off on time, more eateries are stepping up during the government shutdown, and you are listening to a podcast. Hello, my name is Karnak Fiechen, and this week we're looking into marathon presidential campaigns. But I want to start the show by letting you know I have some upcoming travel dates, which will throw a wrench into my production schedule. However, I'm determined to stick with my New Year's resolution, which is release a new episode every Friday through March. So I'm asking for your help. Please send me your good news, whether it's a story you've read, seen or heard, or something from your life. I want to hear it. And I want to hear you. Send an audio recording with good news to goodnews at goodnewsapodcast.com or leave a voicemail at 971-319-5829. Now, here's news to know. The partial U.S. government shutdown is still ongoing. January 18th marks the 28th day. U.K. Prime Minister Theresa May's Brexit deal was voted down, casting more uncertainty around the British exit. Al-Shabaab, an Al-Qaeda-linked organization, attacked a hotel in Nairobi, killing at least 14. Protests broke out in Zimbabwe after the country's president announced a dramatic increase in fuel prices. The Yellow Vest protest in France continued for the ninth straight week. Los Angeles teachers went on strike. Big banks reported earnings influencing the stock markets. William Barr underwent confirmation hearings for attorney general. A court blocked Trump administration restrictions on birth control. An egg became the most liked photo in the history of Instagram, and the Emmys happened. Last week, I misspoke and said the Emmys happened, which they did, but I meant to say the Golden Globes happened, which happened much more recently. Now, I'll end news to know with the Emmys happened every once in a while just to see if you're listening. That might seem like I'm undermining the trust in the news, but I promise I will always let you know when there's a correction that needs to be made on this show. So, that was your news to know, and for more information on any story, go out and read the news. Remember, good news a podcast isn't the best news, it's good news. Good news. Good news. Good news! As long as the partial U.S. government shutdown persists, I'll provide good news from it. As stated last week with holding political bias, I don't believe a government shutdown is good news for a laundry list of reasons. Yet, in sticking with the mission of this show to help bring balance to the news, here's some good news from the government shutdown. Last week, I shared Twisted Trumpo was selling $1 tacos to federal employees. This week, highlighting more eateries, Poor Richards in downtown Colorado Springs is offering a free meal every week of the shutdown to unpaid federal employees and their families. Java Joe's Cafe in St. Ignace, Michigan is offering a free breakfast to any members of the Coast Guard, members of which are going unpaid during the shutdown. Yassine's Falafel House in Knoxville, Tennessee, previously on this show for receiving Reader's Digest's Nicest Place in America in 2018, is offering a free meal to impacted federal workers and their kids. Neil Brown, a restaurateur and chef in Indianapolis, is providing free meals at his three restaurants, Yukio, Libertine Liquor Bar, and Pizzology Craft Pizza and Pub. 
According to CNN, Andrea Deharsh, a furloughed federal worker, went to Brown's Pizzology Craft Pizza and Pub, and the waitress suggested she order a large so she'd have some leftovers to take home. And... At all of his D.C. restaurants, Jose Andreas, a Nobel Peace Prize-nominated chef, is offering free sandwiches to impacted federal employees and their families every day between 2 and 5 p.m. until workers get paid. Additionally, Chef Andreas' nonprofit, World Central Kitchen, which typically responds to natural disasters, opened a pop-up kitchen in Washington, D.C., the pop-up kitchen runs every day from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m., providing free meals to support unpaid federal employees. Amplified by the Good News Network, a study out of USC found a strong correlation between leaky capillaries in the brain and mental impairment. This suggests leaky capillaries in the brain could warn of early-onset Alzheimer's disease. Armed with this information, the head of the Alzheimer's Society, Dr. James Pickett, said this study suggests these leaks are happening very early in the development of Alzheimer's, sometimes even before toxic proteins build up, and could therefore be used to diagnose the disease earlier, or even be a target for potential treatments. While more studies must be done, it's an eye-opening breakthrough for a disease which currently has no permanent treatment. The Guardian has switched its wrapping, or packaging, from polyethylene, or plastic, to compostable potato starch. According to The Guardian, the new potato starch wrappings are suitable for domestic composting and designed to, quote, completely compost within six months in a well-maintained compost heap or food waste bin. Moreover, the potato starch used to make the packaging usually comes from waste potatoes. So growing extra crops isn't necessary, and the wrappings contain no oil-based materials, plastics, or harmful toxins. The Guardian's switch to potato starch packaging has already taken place in London, Kent, Hertfordshire, Essex, Norfolk, and Suffolk. It should be throughout the country in upcoming months. With the change, The Guardian did not reveal how much the switch in packaging cost. The move to eco-friendly packaging seems to be a trend. Other UK papers have made similar switches to potato starch wrappings, and others have claimed they're experimenting with different greenways to distribute their publications. In product delivery, more than just newspapers are trying to remove single-use plastics in their delivery products. Saltwater Brewery, a microbrewery in Delray, Florida, got some recognition last year for their efforts in looking into biodegradable plastic rings for their six-packs. As I stated at the top of the show, I'm in need of hearing good news from you. It doesn't all have to be things you've seen in the news. It could be news from your life. Leave a voicemail at 971-319-5829 or send an audio recording to goodnews at goodnewsapodcast.com. Feature! This week's feature is presidential campaigns. If you're asking why now, same. At the time of recording late Thursday, January 17th, 2019, the 2020 presidential election is 655 days away. Yet, much like snow in winter, a flurry of news about presidential campaigns has covered the media landscape. Even Trevor Noah on The Daily Show kicked off a new segment called World War D, keeping viewers, quote, up to date on every twist and turn in the crowded Democratic race. Despite all the news coverage, one fact doesn't change. The next presidential election is 655 days away. 655 days! To answer the question, why now, we need to consider a number of factors. 
To begin, we look back at how presidential elections have changed. Today, votes in primaries and caucuses are linked to delegates that attend political party conventions. Those delegates choose the presidential nominees. But before the 1972 presidential election, that wasn't the case. Some, albeit fewer, primaries and caucuses were held, but they didn't mean much. Party nominees were chosen by insiders in smoke-filled backrooms during party conventions. Point in case, Hubert Humphrey won the Democratic Party presidential nomination in 1968 despite not running in any primaries. But that nomination caused a lot to change. The 1968 Democratic Party convention was held in Chicago, and Humphrey's nomination contributed to ongoing riots in the city. That tumultuous event spurred the creation of the McGovern-Fraser Commission. The McGovern-Fraser Commission reorganized the presidential nominations to link votes and delegates to make the process much of what it is today. So, the 1968 McGovern-Fraser Commission is one factor in why presidential campaigns have become marathons. To fulfill the new regulations for presidential nominations, many states organized primaries and caucuses, including Iowa. Today, Iowa is known for holding the first caucus because that's what it's historically done. However, Iowa stumbled into being the first presidential contest because the state needed more time to print paperwork for the elections. So, the first Iowa caucus was held in January and has since historically happened early. The history of the early Iowa caucus is another factor. In 1976, Jimmy Carter wasn't that well known when he began campaigning. However, he catapulted himself into the national spotlight by going hard in Iowa and winning. That win, followed by Carter winning the presidential election, made doing well in Iowa and campaigning early a priority, our third factor already. However, if you look at the 1992 general election, Bill Clinton formally announced his candidacy just 397 days before the vote. In 1960, before the McGovern-Fraser Commission, JFK announced his candidacy just 311 days before the vote. That's not a big difference, and it's nowhere near the 655 days we're at now. So, factors in the last few decades have picked up the pace. So, I'll do the same. Exploring post-election reformation, a myriad of factors contributed to marathon campaigns. One factor is primary dates moved earlier. Many states did that to gain significance, like Iowa has, in the election cycle. By 2012, four-fifths of states held their presidential primaries or caucuses in the first three months of a presidential election year. Since then, some rules have changed, causing many states' contests to move their dates back, but some states still vie for earlier elections. Another reason is campaign financing. Much of marathon campaigning has to do with campaign finance, and campaign finance is a whole different bag of nuts. The gist is, longer campaigns need more money, and the longer you're campaigning, generally the more money you can raise. But thinking about it, that's kind of a catch-22. Already on to another factor, the invisible primary has become visible. The invisible primary is candidates doing much of their early campaigning out of the spotlight, like seeking donors and courting interest groups. Now, increasingly so, that stuff is done in the spotlight. And that in itself can be contributed to a number of factors, including the unconventional campaigning and campaign success of Donald Trump, an increase in continuous news coverage, the democratization of the news, the rise in social media, and how we treat politicians more and more like celebrities. All those factors mentioned, and others I didn't touch upon, have caused presidential campaigns to increasingly feel like marathons. 
These factors, seemingly exponentiating over time, answer some of the why now? Why now presidential campaigns have become marathons, and why now presidential campaigns have begun? Whether or not that's good or bad is a different topic. But answering these questions doesn't answer why now we need so much coverage of presidential campaigns 655 days before the presidential election. For your consideration, there is some good. Longer campaigns give lesser-known candidates time to get their names out and ideas heard, and it helps to further democratize the election process by giving more time for people to have a say in who becomes a party's nominee. But, according to Pew Research Center, by July 2016, nearly 6 in 10 Americans were worn out by election coverage, and since 2000, recent presidential elections are statistically on par with the history of U.S. voter turnout. Since 2000, under 60% of eligible voters have voted in presidential elections. So why do we need so much coverage? Good question. There's probably a better way. The hypocrisy of me raising this question about why we need so much presidential campaign coverage now, 655 days before the next election, by doing a feature on it, is not lost on me. This feature is my way of acknowledging it's going to be a long and bumpy road of marathon presidential campaigns. I vowed to keep you updated with news to know, but I'm not going to let a marathon campaign consume me or the show like it might consume other news outlets. A side note to end this feature with some levity, at the time of recording, 465 people have submitted their statements of candidacy for the 2020 presidential election. And if you think the election cycle has started early, the first person to submit their statement of candidacy for the 2020 election did so in 1998. And also the sixth person to submit their statement of candidacy for the 2020 election filed under the name Kanye D's Nuts West. I am not lying. I'm not making it up. It says Kanye D's Nuts West Party Affiliation Green Party on the Federal Election Commission's website. That'll do it. Thanks for listening this week. You can hear Good News, a podcast, wherever you get podcasts. New episodes are out every Friday. And in the meantime, please subscribe, rate, and review this show everywhere. Follow Good News A Podcast on Facebook, Instagram at Good News A Podcast, and Twitter at GN underscore a podcast, where sources for the show are posted. Last but not least, consider giving to Good News A Podcast Patreon. Patreon is an easy way to give money to individual creators you support. To give your support, go to patreon.com slash goodnewsapodcast or click on the link in this episode's description. If you give a dollar, you'll get a sticker. This has been Good News, a podcast. It's not the best news, it's good news.